All right, let's look at, uh, we're, we're going to look one more time, last time, at the Job Suite of uh, performed by Michael Card, and he's going to lead us right up to the passage where we're at today. So, Kirk, you get the lights.
Just a good review of where we've been, kind of the up and down emotionally, 
of the story of Job. Turn your Bibles to Job 38. Job 38. God finally shows up. And uh, you know what's sad? Is by the time you made your way through this lengthy book and listened to all the words of men, you're kind of worn out and you kind of want to skip through the words of God when He finally shows up. In fact, in commentaries, you can take a big old commentary that's a couple inches thick and they'll just give a few pages because I think they're worn out, okay? But God finally shows up. And here's what he says, and and I have it there in your notes. God finally shows up and says that Elihu is right. I am big enough and small enough to trust in in the storms of life. And I purposely did that for a couple reasons. Because in your Bibles, the Lord is in all caps, which means that special covenant name of Yahweh, the great I Am. And uh, that word, that name for God has not shown up in this book until all the way back in chapters 1 and 2, except for one time on Job's lips. So the narrator is saying, look, it's the Lord that's now finally shown up. And he's saying, look, I am. I am the great I am. And Elihu is right. I'm big enough and small enough for you to trust in the storms of life. I titled this, I Am Big Enough and Small Enough, because I wanted to tie it in with last week's lesson. Because that's what Elihu's message was. The Lord is big enough and small enough for you to trust. And I want you to show, far from being Elihu being an angry, foolish young man, he is an angry, wise, younger man that got it right. Because the Lord comes and says basically the same thing. I loved, uh, at least uh, the Lord enabled me to communicate what I wanted to last week to at least one of you. Uh, One of our class members came up and said, man, that that message was great last week. It was like the climax. It was like it it just reached to the climax of the book. And I said, you're exactly right, because that's what Elihu is trying to do. He's pointing to God in the storm. Remember, Elihu ends chapter 37, by looking at this approaching storm and saying, as Michael Card said in that song, that hear that thunder? That's the voice of, of the Lord. You see that lightning? That reflects God's glory. You see those clouds? He is greater than those thunder clouds. Think about your life. You can. I thought about this. My earliest memory as a three-year-old, before we moved north of the river, and about three years old, about the, the soonest you're going to start remembering things. But I remember us going down to our basement there on Tracy over south of the river. There was tornado warning. And I remember my, my brother, who's four years older than me, and my mom lifting the garage door to get big pieces of hail. And I'm like, shut that thing, shut that. You know, I was just scared. To, I remember one of my earliest memories. I, in fact, you can go through your life and just remember the, the physical storms in your life, can't you? I remember uh, that tornado that blew through here that took out the Glotfelty's, uh Audra's bedroom and and uh, came through. That was on a Wednesday night, was it not? Sunday night. Sunday night, I was, I was here to preach. And uh, I was here early getting ready to preach. And Gwen was home, and we were talking on the phone. And she's like, this thing's coming. I said, you'll be fine. And the phone goes dead. You know, and, and then it, it came through there. You know, and I'm like, oh, I guess she's okay, Lord. You got her. You know, just, I, you just go through and remember these different storms, can't you? And it leaves an impression on you. And the same thing is true for your emotional relational and spiritual storms. You can trace through your life when you've gone through those storms and the impression, the fear, the feelings, and the trauma. Well, what the Lord is saying to us this morning, and He's going to say it to Job, He's going to say it to us in Job chapter 38 all the way into the beginning of chapter 40 is, I'm big enough and small enough for you to trust in the storms of life. Look in your notes. It says, Job's 38, Job 38 through 39 reveals what the Lord says to Job for the very first time in the entire book. This is the first time that God has spoken to anyone on earth, and it's going to be the last time that Job speaks. And it's the first time, and he's going to speak to Job in the first of two interrogations. Elihu came as a, with intervention for Job. The Lord's going to show up with an interrogation of Job. He's going to question Job's, uh, the wisdom of Job's words in the midst of his undeserved suffering. And I kind of gave you an outline here of God's two interrogations. You can look at that. 
and read over that. He speaks to Job out of the out of the whirlwind. In other words, God is in the storm, and He speaks out of the storm. And what we're going to see is God's first interrogation, as you see there in that chart. Are you wise enough to create the wonders of creation and care for the wildness of creation? And Job is going to respond to that, as you just heard in the song, and say something about who he is, and then he's going to remain silent. And then we'll see the next uh, interrogation next week. So, let's jump into it, and uh, here's the big idea. The Lord says, I am the great I am. I am big enough, and I'm small enough for you to trust in the storms of life. And here in the first three verses, in the introduction of the Lord showing up, we're going to see three reasons why the Lord's big enough and small enough for us to trust Him. And then the rest of the chapters and the rest of the lesson is just more proof that that is true. So let's dive into it and see. Three main reasons from the introduction of the Lord why He is big enough and small enough to be trusted. Let's read verses 1 through 3 together. Look at them there in your Bible. Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Tornado, huge, massive storm, the whirlwind, and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you. This is an interrogation. And you instruct me. Okay, right there, Job knows, and we know we're in trouble. Okay, so let's take a look at it. But it's beautiful. Because this is an interrogation with compassion. This is not to hurt Job, it's to humble him and to help him. So let's take a look at it. There's three reasons just in those verses why we can trust the Lord in, in your storm. First of all, because I am with you in the storms of life. I am with you in the storms of life. He is speaking out of the whirlwind, which means where is he? In the whirlwind. He is in the storm with Job. That is huge. Amen? That is huge. The Lord is in the storm. Where is the Lord according to 38.1? He is speaking out of the whirlwind, which means He's in it. And here's the point. You might want to jot this down. The silence of God does not mean the absence of God. God has not spoken for over 20 chapters. God has not spoken to Job during this entire thing. But silence does not mean absence. So when you are in the storm, if you are His child, now this is only true if you're His child. If you are His child and you've trusted Jesus, your Savior and Lord, then when you go through the storms of life, He is with you. And if He's not speaking and you seem, He seems distant, silence does not mean absence. God keeps His promises, does not forsake His people in the storm, Instead, He's always present with us in the storm, even though it may not feel like it, it may not look like it, and it seems like He is sleeping and uncaring. I say that because when you think of storms, you ought to think of Jesus with His disciples in the boat, and they're in the storm, and what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. And they're like, don't you care? Don't you realize we're about to die? Well, hey, He wakes up and He says, what's the problem? I'm here with you. Yeah, but it looks like you're sleeping. It looks like you don't care. No, but... Silence is not absence. I'm here. Or think of the time when they were in the storm and, but, and, and Jesus wasn't in the boat. But where was He? He was on the mountain praying for them in the Gospels. See, He may seem absent, but He was praying for them and then He comes walking to them in the midst of the storm and they freak out. They think it's a ghost and they panic. And He says, what's the problem? I'm here with you. And then Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water and he's fine as long as his eyes are fixed on who? Jesus. But when his eyes get fixed on the waves and the storm, what did he do? He sunk. It's the same principle here that the Lord is teaching Job. Now, how does God identify himself when he shows up? He is identified as the Lord. I've already made that point. The Lord answered. This isn't just a distant sovereign God that doesn't relate to our problems, that doesn't understand us. This is the great I am, the promise keeper, the ever-present redeemer. That's a good thing. And it's a unique God that no other religion can match. What is God saying to Job and us in this point, in this, in this 
uh, idea of being in the storm. I'm big enough to be trusted in your storm because I am with you in the storm. Never mistake my silence for my absence. The good news is this. God is so big that He gets His way in the storm. But He's small enough that He's there with you in it. Good news. Good news. And let me just say this, that's a great principle, but this principle tells us something. Comfort in storms doesn't just come from principles about the Lord, it comes from the presence of the Lord. So that's a great principle, but the principle's pointing you to His presence. Whatever storm you're going through right now, the teaching you need is the teaching that points you to the presence of Jesus in the midst of your life. But I don't see Him. He's there anyway. I, it doesn't feel like He's with me. He's there anyway. Are you His child? He's present with you in the storm. Second principle. The second reason why the Lord can be trusted in the storms of life is number two, because I am speaking to you through the storms of life. I am speaking to you through the storms of life. This was a big point for Elihu last week, that God speaks in a variety of ways. Well, here's the Lord saying the same thing. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. See, we kind of want to hear from God after He fixes our problem. We want to hear from God after He ends our suffering. We want to hear from God when He gives us relief from the pain. And God says, like C.S. Lewis, that pain is my megaphone speaking into your, your deafness. When did God speak in the storm? I love this. Circle that word, then, in chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered. When did the Lord begin to speak? Well, I would say that then means after Elihu had refocused Job on God's sovereign majesty in the storm. After the intervention. Again, Elihu's not the bad guy. He's the good guy. God speaks after God's appointed messenger has come. He speaks after Job's heart has been prepared by Elihu's intervention. Then the Lord answered Job. Now, who is he speaking to? Notice, there's a lot of people at the ash heap. There's a lot of people he could have been talking to. He doesn't stop to say, Elihu, good job. I really liked what you said. You represented me well. He doesn't go to the three friends and say, you jerks, you got me all wrong. He goes to the one who is suffering. He goes to the one in pain, and he speaks directly, personally, and specifically to Job. Now, what's the point of that? God's big enough to be in the storm, but He's small enough to hear you, see you, listen to you, and speak to you in the storm. The question is not whether God is speaking. The question is, am I listening? Isn't that good? It's good stuff. He's speaking to us through the storm. Now, this is what Job's getting what he asked for all along. Be careful what you ask for. This is what Job wanted answers, and now the Lord's answering. Now he's getting what he wanted. Now, how does God speak to Job? Well, look at that word, answers. He answered Job. Now, if you, if you skip over that word too quickly, you'll think, oh, Job's finally going to get his answers. No, Job is going to get a bunch of questions. This is an interrogation, not an explanation. What do we want in the midst of our storms? We want explanations. Why? What has Job been asking all the way through this? Why, 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 why? And we're the same way. We're the same way. Why, why, why? And God's going to come back with a counter question of who, who, who? Job wanted explanation. God's going to give revelation. Job wants explanation of why I'm suffering, and God's going to give a revelation of who is in control of your suffering. So this word answer is not giving an explanation. It's a term that we've seen this answer all the way through the book, and it's a legal term. It's a legal term for challenging someone in court. Basically, God has come in the storm and serves notice to Job. What you've wanted? You're now getting. Let's go to court. Now, early on, 
Job had said, look, I'm open to either being the prosecutor in the courtroom or the defendant. You can either question me or I'll question you. I don't care. I just want to go to court. I just want to get some answers, Lord. Come on down here. As the suffering goes on, Job gets impatient. And if you remember in chapter 31, Job gave up the idea of being the one question. And he says, I'm serving God. Notice, you get down here or you're not really God. Because I've got some questions for you. Now, can't you just see? I, I see myself in that. Don't you see yourself in that sometimes? God, get on down here. And, you know, I, I've got a thing or two to tell you. And basically, God says... Uh, I'm not coming to be questioned by you. I'm coming to question you. Now, here's what I want you to see. Out of the phrases of this, of this first verse, when does God, or how does God speak? First of all, God is speaking in His time. Then, God chose the time, not Job. God is speaking in, in His time. Secondly, God is speaking on His terms. He's speaking out of the storm instead of, fixing the storm and then talking. He's speaking on his terms. Thirdly, he's speaking for his purposes. He's not here to give the explanation that Job demanded. He is here to give the revelation that he knows Job really needs. It's his purposes. Now remember, we've said all along in this series, the best answer to why is what? Who? Job kept asking why, God keeps asking who. Now, God is not rebuking Job for asking why. But the answering why is never God's primary concern in our lives or our chief need. God is going to answer, quote marks, Job's sincere questions, his subtle accusations, and his serious insinuation. I can't even say the word. He's insinuating. He has insinuated some serious things about God. And God's going to answer those with sovereign counter-questions. And so it goes. Now, I love this quote. ran across it this week. Job needs to learn, and that's us too, the issue is not ethical. Like, is God right or wrong in suffering? Is God right to allow this? Is God right? We're always kind of wanting to put God on trial. The issue is not ethical. The question is not why. The need is not understanding. The issue is spiritual. The question is who, and the need is trust. So what is God saying to Job and us? I'm small enough to speak to you in the storm, but I'm large enough to do it on my own terms, in my own time, and I'm speaking for my own purposes, for my glory and for your good. Third reason why we can trust the Lord in our storms is number three, because I am sovereign over you, your storms, and all of creation. I am with you in the storm. I'm speaking to you through the storm. But I am sovereign over you, your storms, and all of creation. And we find that in verses 2 and 3 where he calls Job to stand up like a man. Look at verses 2 and 3. There's three phrases here that we need to observe, and I want to explain a little bit. First of all, he says, Job, you are speaking words without knowledge. Have we heard that before? Yes. That's exactly what Elihu had accused Job of. So Elihu got it right. The issue is not Job's actions before he suffered. It's not about sin, and therefore he's suffering. It's about his attitude in suffering. Job... You're talking above your pay, pay grade. You think you've got this suffering stuff figured out. Your words are foolish. As uh, Archie, Bunker, Archie Bunker would say, stifle. Stifle yourself. Okay. Number two, darkening counsel. This is an important word. Counsel. Important word. It basically, you know, we, we, we're like, what's that mean? It means the organization and operation of creation. Remember, this whole thing happened, this whole thing started in chapter 1, where? In the divine counsel of God, where God makes plans and decisions and uh, establishes His purposes. So, the counsel here is how do you organize and operate something? And in this case, it's going to be about operating the whole of creation. So, who is 
basically criticizing the job I'm doing of running the universe. That's the idea of darkening counsel. Okay? Who is it that thinks they can run the universe better than me? Is it you, Job? Let's talk about this. The issue is that Job thinks God is not doing a very good job of carrying out his counsel regarding Job's life, the organizing and operating of Job's life in the storm. So God says to him, gird up your loins like a man. That sounds a little scary. What's that mean? Okay, what it means is get ready for battle. Take your robe and tie it up around your waist so you can move. Basically, he's saying, Lord, he's saying, you want some of this, Job? You want some of me? You want some of this? Can you handle this? Well, man up and let's get in the cage and go a few rounds. Job's in trouble. Would you agree? Step up to the witness stand, Job, because I've got some questions for you. You know, he's like Perry Mason licking his chops. Let's see if you can really instruct me on how to organize and manage your life. I remember when Amber was smaller, she used to want to wrestle with me and and think she could take me and, and, and beat me or somehow inflict pain on me. And I would always say, don't mess with the big guy. Amber, don't mess with the big guy. You'll always get hurt. Because you know how kids are. They over, you know, they think they can do it. And all you got to do is just kind of stand there. And inevitably, she would hurt herself. And she would cry. And, 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 or or and sometimes it was a hurt that ended in laughter. Sometimes the hurt ended in crying. But the point was, and I would always say, don't mess with the big guy. And, and I said, Amber, I'm trying to teach you something in life. Because the ultimate big guy's God. And when you think you can take him, you're always going to lose. And you're often going to get hurt. Don't mess with the big guy. Well, obviously, I'm no longer the big guy in our house. She's taller than me, and uh, she can pretty much all hold her own against me, but it still works out that way. It just works out that when she tries to mess around with me, inevitably, she is the one that ends up getting hurt. Job is about to find out for himself that the Lord is, that, that uh, you don't mess with the big guy. But God is going to be gracious. He's not going to hurt Job. He's going to humble him in order to help him. So how does the Lord do this? How does the Lord humble him? How does the Lord show him that he's sovereign and he can be trusted even in the storms? Well, he does it with a passage that's full of questions. And what happens for the rest of this verse interrogation are a bunch of questions. I went through my New American Standard and I counted 39 question marks. The thing is, there's more question questions than there are question marks because some of them are joined together. So there's more than over 40 questions. These are rhetorical questions, meaning you ask what you already know and you don't expect an answer. They are not questions for information. They are questions for transformation. God is not asking to get information from Job. He's asking for transformation of Job's heart. Each question is a declaration about who God is, and each question is an invitation to Job to acknowledge, I am God, and you are not. So let's look at what the Lord declared about himself. Now, obviously, I send out emails each week. I challenge you to read these chapters. It's not my job to read the chapters for you. That's your job before you come. Your job, or after you're here, you know, if you're first time here, then you read this week. You read these chapters, 38 and 39. I've given you an outline. I've given you the summary, the big ideas. You read it yourself. But here's the two main proofs, the, the, the points that he's driving home with these questions. The first is this. I am able to control the wonders of creation with wisdom greater than yours. I am able to control the wonders of creation with wisdom greater than yours. I think I have there at least, there's eight general questions that he asks. Many more questions, but here's the general ones. The wonders of creation are created and controlled by the Lord. And there he just goes through. Job, the first one just, the first one just cuts him off at the legs. Uh, where were you when I created all this? Earth to Job, earth to Job, where were you? No answer. What is he saying? I am created, designed, and constructed all that you see. 
Then he goes on, he says, who enclosed the waves of the sea, that chaotic sea? This week we were out on the lake and just a, 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 a wave that big is enough to freak us out. You get out on that ocean, who encloses that? Who sets the limits of the coastline, of the shoreline? Job, feeling a little seasick, are you? No answer. I am made and fixed the sea in its place. Who, may, who commands the rising of the... This is a great question. When's the last time you commanded the sun to rise, Job? Job, wake up. Pull back the curtains. No answer. I am orders the sun to rise and the earth to rotate. Number four, who, explore, who has explored the expanse of the underworld? You realize there's only so far we can go down in the ocean, but the roots of the ocean no man has ever been to. There are depths of this ocean. We've been to the moon, but we can't go to the bottom of the sea. Job, too deep for you? No answer. I created it, the deepest place on the planet. I've explored it all. Who guides the path of light and darkness? Surely, Job, you're old enough to have been there when light and darkness were separated and sorted out. You know so much. Surely you had to be there. Job, are you still in the dark? Can't find the switch? No answer. I am created and comprehends the coming and going of light and darkness. Who controls the weather? This is a great one. He, he spends a lot of time on this. In fact, I just read an article by Stephen J. Hawking, who thinks he understands all the universe, who admitted science can't predict weather. We are so intelligent, and yet we are so dependent on God. And he says, look, I can use weather... To stop or start a war. I never, we just came through June 6th, the Normandy invasion. I never ceased to, to be amazed at the story of that, of how all of it depended on weather. Weather that was out of, out of the Allies' control. Weather that if it would have went this way or that way would have determined the whole war. Weather that caused the Nazis to think we wouldn't attack Weather that almost stopped us from attacking. Weather that enabled us to attack and get a surprise element. And none of it was in control of the Allies. All of it was in control of a sovereign God who controls the weather for His purposes. Who fixes the solar system in place? Who controls the storms of the wisdom? Now, what is the point of all these questions? The Lord's questions reveal the wisdom we lack in light of the Lord's control. There's four areas that he hammers Job on, and here they are. Number one is age. Job, you're not old enough to understand the creation. Age, were you there? Nope. Number two, knowledge. Do you know how I created these things? Do you know? You don't have the knowledge, Job. Three, experience. Have you ever experienced the depths of the sea, the planets, and the solar system? Experience. Number four, skill. Can you create what I have created? Wisdom. Job, you aren't wise enough. I am wiser than what you can understand. Stand down, Job. Shut up, Job. I've got this under control. I've got this under control. What's the lesson learned? The Lord's control of my life is always wiser than I can ever understand. Underline it, star it, mark it, write it on your forehead, put it on your mirror, repeat it every day. When the light switch, when you turn the light switch on, say, I have no clue what just happened. Oh, I may be able to explain some of the dynamics of the, the physical laws, but I don't understand what separates light and darkness. Lord, your control of my life is always wiser than I can ever understand. Job. If you can't create and organize the wonders of creation, then why do you think you, you can control your life better than I can? Job, if I can create and control the wonders of the universe, don't you think I can handle you and your storm right now? And the answer is what? Yeah. But God's not done. Look at Job 38, 38. Yes, 38, 38. In Job 38, 38, he's, he, he, he's talking again about the storms of life, the weather. And then in verse 39, he makes a switch. And for the rest of the chapter, in all of chapter 39, he start, starts talking about the wildness 
of creation. So first he talks about the wonders that are kind of all around us and above us and below us. Now he's talking about the animal kingdom. And here's his second point. I am, the great I am, I am able to care for the wildness of creation with compassion greater than yours. I am able to care for the wildness of creation with compassion greater than yours. Now, what happens when God finally shows up? You go for a walk on the wild side. This is wild. This is God's verbal safari. And safari is a good word. It comes from the Arabic word for journey. We're going to take a journey through Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Anybody? Well, okay, Jerry, just probably me and you. Mutual Omaha's. Okay, Terry, great. Join the... Oh, okay. And all the old people are saying, yeah, yeah. Okay, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And what was the... What was the Marlon Perkins, right? And he was the narrator, and then he would send his assistant, Jim, to always do the hard stuff. Jim was always getting almost eaten by alligators, and he's all, you know, so, so Job is basically, you know, God is kind of Marlon Perkins, and he's saying, Job, you're going to be Jim, and I'm going to send you out into Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom, and let's see how you do. Well, like Jim, it's a miracle that Jim didn't get eaten. Well, here we go. There's a lot to be learned about God's wisdom and compassion. Have you ever noticed in the book of Proverbs how much of God's wisdom is taught through the animal kingdom? It's all embedded and encoded by God, the Creator. Now, the wildness of creation is cared for with compassion by the Lord. You'll have to read through this. But he talks about how he provides the prey for the lion and its young. It's God who prepares the nourishment for the scavenging uh, scavenging raven and its young. He's the one who's there watching the propagation and proliferation of mountain goats and deers that no one has ever seen. He's the one that gives the pursuit of freedom by the wild donkey, the persistent stubbornness to the wild ox that can never be tamed or can, is not easily tamed. He's the one that made that crazy animal, the ostrich, that is perplexing in its nature and nurture of its young. He's the one who understands and gives the powerful courage to the war horse, and he's the one who gives the perspective to the high-flying hawk and the high-nesting eagle and its young. Now, as you read through this this week, or last week, there's a couple things I want to draw out, and, and here's what I want to draw out for you. First of all, the focus is on the wildness of the animal kingdom. Job, you're a farmer and you're a herdsman and you know a lot about domesticated animals, but you know there's a whole wild kingdom out there that man has difficulty taming. And I'm out there caring for it. Number two, he focuses on the young and the helpless. His focus is on how God provides for these wild animals and cares for their young. It's kind of like Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Look at the birds of the air. Don't I feed them? Look at the lilies of the field. Don't I clothe them? I, you're of more value than they are. And then the message of this whole section is this. God is pro-life. He's all about preserving life. He's all about promoting life. He's all about saving life, even in the animal kingdom. And we are made in God's image. Job, I'm not against you. I, you know... And we know the backstory. He preserved Job's life through this storm. Job, I'm for you, and I'm for life. Now, in the previous, the wonders of creation, we lack wisdom. Here we gain wisdom. And let me give you four points. Uh, wisdom that we can gain from God's care of the wild kingdom. Number one, only God creates life. We can't. So trust Him to preserve your life in your storm. Number two, what God creates, He owns. Trust God's right to rule over you. He owns you. And He has a right to lead your life. Number three, what God owns, He cares for. Unlike us, we own a lot of things that we don't take care of. What God owns, He cares for. Trust His compassion in caring for your life, even in the storms. Listen, if you're in a storm, God is caring for you. Doesn't feel like it, God is caring for you. Doesn't seem like it, God is caring for you. 
Number four, what God cares for, He does so with wisdom. Trust His design of your life, especially. There's a mystery and a beauty in nature. Do you agree? There's a mystery and a beauty, even in the wildness. That's why people like the Weather Channel and the Animal Channel. Why? Why is that? Because there's a mystery, there's a beauty, there's a wisdom. Guess what? Your storms are wild and wonderful, and God's in the midst of them. He'll take you through it. Now, what's the lesson learned? The Lord's care for my life is always more compassionate than I will ever realize. The Lord's care for my life is always more compassionate. The Lord's saying, look, Job, if you cannot manage and care for the wildness of creation like I can, then why do you think you can manage your own wild life better than I can? If I can care for the wildness of the animal kingdom, don't you think I can handle the whirlwind you are in right now? And the answer is what? So how does God wrap this up? Well, look at chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. He comes right back, and he drives the point home for you and for me. Look at Job 40, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Job, and man, this is, th- these, are, these are hard words. They're not harsh, but they're hard. Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty now? Let him who reproves God give an answer to these questions. Job, you've been too critical. Job, you've been too proud. Job, you've been trying to tell me how to run your life, and I'm far more capable than what you're giving quite. Here's what the Lord says. In that in those two verses, the Lord's basically saying, Job, I'm large and in charge. And you know what Job responds? Verses 3 through 5, I am small and in awe. Got it? Okay, so here's the idea. The Lord is what? Say it with me. He is large and in charge with a whole lot of compassion thrown in. And we should just say, I'm just small and in awe, and we should do this. We should... And just trust. Is that good? Is that good? Take some time and read these chapters. Take some time and look at those principles and think, God is with me in the storm. He is big enough to get his way in the storm. God is speaking me speaking to me through my storm. Am I listening? He's small enough to care about me. He hears my cries, he knows my pain, and he's working through it. Third, God is sovereign over my storms, over me, over all of creation. And he can control the wonders of creation with a wisdom far greater than mine. And he can care for the wildness of creation. Listen, here's here's what he's trying to say to Job. I am wonderful, more wonderful than you can understand. And God is saying this. I am wild, more wild than what you can tame. How wild, how big is your God? How wonderful is the God that you're serving in your heart and your mind? And what God does is He takes us through the storms to remind us of His wonder that is greater than what we realize and of His wildness that we can't control. Most of us get angry. I think many Christians walk around with a low level of anger towards God. Because we thought we had him tamed. If I do this and this and this, and then you'll do this, this, and this. That's prosperity gospel. That's what the three friends said. Do this, 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 and you can tame God. And God has come in the midst of the storm to say, I am wild and wonderful. Hang on. Trust me. We're going to make it through this, and it's going to be for my glory. And in the end, Job, it's going to be for your good. But you've got to stop asking why. You've got to start looking at who you are 
I am small and in awe, and you got to look at who I am. I am large and in charge, and we're going to make this through this together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I have, I have spoken of things too wonderful for me. And you are more wild than what I can tame through a lesson. So I point myself, I point our class to you, like who Elihu did and like you did. And I pray that we will each put ourselves in Job's place and allow you to question us with compassion, to humble us in order to help us. Not to hurt us. You are pro-life. You care for the wild animals. And we are of much more value to you. We are made in your image. I pray for those that are in the midst of storms right now. That they will see that you are with them. You are speaking to them. And you have greater wisdom and greater compassion for them than what they can even imagine. Lord, sometimes we need to get out of our cars, out of our homes, and into nature and creation, and remember that all of it is a reflection of you and who you are. I pray your blessings on each person here, no matter where we are. I pray your blessings that we may know you as the wild and wonderful God that you are. It's your kingdom that is coming. It's your will that is to be done. May it be done in our hearts, in the storm, as it is done in heaven right now and one day will be done on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.